Hello and welcome to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, the Trans-Tasman Podcast Network, by and for the climate community of Australia and New Zealand. My name is Mark and I'm the publisher of Climactic and this week it's my pleasure to bring to you a poetry night. After a very intense month of July of looking at climate solutions and staring the worst of the climate crisis right in the face, there were in-depth interviews and narrative stories but not once did poetry come up. So we're bringing you an extra-long 80-minute episode today, but one that you can easily break into parts of your own choosing. There's multiple artists, multiple different styles of poetry, but all engaged with the intersection of feminism and the climate crisis. Warning, you will feel things. My thanks to Kara and Opie at the Women's Climate Justice Collective for allowing us to adapt and share this with you. We love working with environmental groups to adapt their events into podcast episodes. So feel free to get in touch with us at hello at climactic.fm, or if you work with a group, let them know about us. All right, we'll now get into it with the Women's Climate Justice Collective's third poetry night, recorded during Melbourne's sixth lockdown. Stay safe, everyone, and take care of each other. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, everyone who's just joining us now. We'll be kicking off in just a moment. I hope everyone has a cup of tea, maybe a glass of wine if you're so inclined. Maybe some coffee if you don't feel like sleeping later tonight. Up to you. Anything you choose. Great. I might kick us off. We have a lot of people here with us tonight. This is really exciting. Good evening. Welcome. Welcome to our Feminist Climate Justice Poetry Night. Um, please join me in welcoming Ranjri Elder, Auntie Diane Kerr, for the Welcome to Country. Over to you, Auntie Diane. Thank you very much. I honour my ancestors and my elders, and I pay homage to the sacred grounds that we're all on. I wish to acknowledge any elders, elders of different nations, any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, any First Nations peoples from across the waters, and I acknowledge you all, and I pay my respects to your ancestors and elders. It's an honour and a privilege to be a part of your night tonight, and um, it sounds really exciting. I'm, I'm a little bit jealous, but I hope that you enjoy it. And we are still, you know, doing stuff by Zoom and doing virtual, and I think we might be able, we might be doing this for a while, but hopefully soon we'll be able to get out to have live welcomes. But at the moment. Uh, it's all Zoom, which is a bit of a shame because it's nice to meet people and have a yarn and talk. And it's very important that we all look after each other at the moment. We're still under COVID law. And I think COVID has taught us about how important our, our families are and our communities. But we all come from different cultures and, you know, that is so exciting. 
and so beautiful, all the different cultures that we have around. But I wanted to ask you to talk to someone that you don't know and share your story of who you are and where you come from because I firmly believe if we can understand each other that we can live in harmony. When we live in harmony, we eradicate racism and stigma and we pave the way for our children, our young ones, our future leaders. They can live in peace and walk our streets without fear of any harm. And I know I want that for my grandchildren and I happen to be a great granny now, so getting old, but um, it's a beautiful thing to have be alive and have great grandchildren. So enjoy your night. Um, poets to me are amazing because I cannot think of how to put words into poetry. I wish I could. So you are all talented. Enjoy that talent, you know, and share it. It's 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 marvelous thing to be able to write. So can I just say, may Bunjil, our Creator, surround you all and give you strength and resilience. On behalf of my elders, I say, Woman Jika, Warren Jerry Balik, Yemen Gundibik. But that means welcome to the traditional country of the Wurundjeri people. For those that are zooming in, you're zooming into Wurundjeri country but I acknowledge the countries that you're all on. So Nungodjan, thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much, Auntie Diane. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands, different the different lands that we are all calling in from. I am calling in from Wurundjeri country, and I would encourage you all to write the country that you're calling in from in the chat. I pay my respects to elders past and present. I extend that respect to you, Auntie Diane, and to any other First Nations person who is joining us tonight. The fight for climate justice is led by First Nations people and their ongoing resistance since the colonization and invasion of this continent to protect both country and people. I'd also like to acknowledge that we have just come out from a lockdown a couple of days ago and things are in a bit of a transition, a bit of flux. I know things are, People have different situations going on right now, so I just want to send out some love and good vibes to you all at this time. I hope you, you and your family are doing well. My name is Opie. I haven't even introduced myself yet. Um, I am most honoured to be your host this evening. I've hosted the previous two Feminist Cl Climate Justice Poetry Nights. I've definitely gotten better at saying Feminist Climate Justice Poetry Night than the first time I did it, that's for sure. And it's with my pleasure that I join you all again today. I'm a bit of an undercover poet myself, I might say. Nothing that I would show anyone else, but I definitely have a vested interest in hearing the poetry tonight. Last but not least, it's also Leo season. I must mention that my sun sign is Leo. If there are any other Leos in the house, blow up the chat. I got, we, have to, we have to make some noise for Leo season as well. All right. <laughs> Tonight's event has been organized by the Women's Climate Justice Collective in collaboration with One Woman Project and Bridge Durban. This event aims to raise awareness of the intersection between feminism and climate justice to bring us together and transport us through the magic of storytelling. We have such an amazing lineup for you this evening. I'm so excited. We'll shortly hear from the Women's Climate Justice Collective, One Woman Project, and Bridge Therabin about how to get involved 
we will then get to the heart of the night and hear from our wonderful performers, Wahibe Musa, Nikki Viveka, Amanda Anastasi, and Tarifa Tatusi. This will then take us to the final part of the evening and definitely not least, the open mic, where we'll hear from Yvette Stubbs and Carmen Lahiv Jenkins. Please note that some of the performances this evening may have some strong themes. So please feel free to step away at any stage if you need to. And please feel free to reach out to any of the event organizers if you'd like to debrief by emailing wcjcaus at gmail.com or feel free to message me in the chat and I can pass that along to one of the Women's Climate Justice Collective members on your behalf. So first, I would like to pass to Kara to tell us about the Women's Climate Justice Collective. Kara, over to you. Thanks, OP. So I just wanted to give a brief introduction to the Women's Climate Justice Collective. Uh, I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that we're all on. I'm on Wurundjeri, Wurrung country, here where I am at Dananong Ranges. So thank you so much also to Auntie Diane. That was lovely. Welcome to country. So thank you. Um, I'd also like to pay my respects to you and all elders, past, present and emerging. Um, so a little bit about Women's Climate Justice Collective. We've been around since 2017 and we are a national collective aiming to mainstream intersectional feminist climate justice. We sort of have three main objectives. So as I just mentioned, mainstreaming intersectional feminist climate justice. So that's sort of spreading it throughout the climate movement and throughout the feminist movement. Um, and just making this something that people really make that automatic connection between feminism and climate justice. We also want to support and connect activists in the climate justice and feminist movements. And so we do that through our events. Um, we do that through some networking camps and things like tonight, the poetry night as well. And we also want to demand that feminism is incorporated into the climate movement and that climate justice is incorporated into the feminist movement. And we do that by running trainings. Um, so we've been running trainings for different climate groups and also um, feminist groups over the last 12 to 18 months, um, giving them some more information around the connection between feminism and climate justice so they can integrate that into their campaigns. Got a photo from our very first poetry night. We had some wonderful, uh, beautiful dance, sorry, from the Pacific Climate Warriors. We also have a photo from uh, one of our trainings um, that was online and the photo down the bottom there is from a panel event that we ran. So we do some awareness raising events as well as these sort of events to elevate uh, marginalised voices as well to speak up about feminism and climate justice and draw that connection. Um, most recently, um, we did a 12-month uh, research project. Um, apologies, I've just accidentally closed my own slides. Um, we did a feminist participatory action research project. So this was really aimed to trial and evaluate consciousness raising strategies um, to strengthen climate justice advocates' understanding of gender intersectionality and climate justice. So we're just writing up the findings from that now and I'll hopefully be able to share it with everyone who's registered tonight once we do have that report finalised. Um, I guess I just also wanted to speak briefly on why we're talking about climate justice and the true causes of the climate crisis. Um, and I've got some images here around the, the, the root causes of the climate crisis. It's not just an environmental issue. It's not just emissions. It's not just CO2 in the air. It's caused by capitalism, colonialism, patriarchy and white supremacy, these systems of oppression, um, you know, 
taking without consent from people and the land and absolutely destroying our planet and our communities. So if we really truly want to address the climate crisis, we can't think of it as just an environmental issue. We have to think about it as a social justice issue and actually think about dismantling these systems to adequately address the crisis and create a better world as well. So the reason we're connecting it specifically with feminism is not only that the patriarchy is one of the root causes of the climate crisis, but also that their women and non-binary folks are disproportionately impacted by the climate crisis as well. So these are some findings from a major study, um, and I'm also happy to share the link with people to this study um, who've registered tonight. So one um, of the main impacts that affects women and non-binary people disproportionately is an increased violence during and after natural disasters. We also have reproductive and maternal health impacts, including lack of access to services during disasters. So if we've got floods, we've got bushfires, got trees coming down like they were up here in the Dandenong Ranges recently, you can't access the services that you would need. And that especially impacts people who, you know, potentially are pregnant and need assistance with their pregnancy or want to terminate their pregnancy or need help with giving birth or with you know, their child's health, they're not able to access those services and also not having access to adequate nutrition. Um, you know, this also affects the health of not only pregnant people, but their child and, you know, it can impact breastfeeding as well. Also, um, women and non-binary folks are more likely to go hungry due to increased food insecurity. So with, you know, failing crops due to droughts and so on, um, often it will be sort of the men that will be fed first and then children and often the women, the carers, the non-binary folks are left last and often do go hungry when there's food insecurity. Next, we have the majority of paid and unpaid caring roles are taken on by women and non-binary folks. So they will take on those health impacts. It's mainly women and non-binary folks who are you know, working, as we've seen with COVID, in healthcare, caring for children, in education, in aged care, looking after their parents and their families. So they will take on all those physical impacts of the climate crisis as well as the mental health impacts as well. And we've also got here the lack of access to assets and power. So it's difficult to influence those decisions and resources, whether it's planting crops that are drought resistant, unable to have the decision-making power to influence that or the decision-making power to leave, perhaps if there's a bushfire or another emergency, knowing able to decide when to evacuate. So these are some ways that women and non-binary folks are disproportionately impacted by the climate crisis. And therefore, in response to that, we need to be addressing those systems of oppression that are causing the climate crisis. And we can do that by thinking about our climate solutions being gender just. So having gender just climate solutions that are not only addressing those root causes, but specifically looking in ways to improve gender justice as well. So when we're thinking about climate solutions, we need to ask these questions, you know, does it uphold the rights of people and the rights of nature? Is it safe? You know, is it, does it have full and equal participation of diverse people and diverse women in the decision-making throughout the process? Um, is it publicly or collectively owned? Does it fulfil environmental integrity? And does it safeguard First Nations rights? 
If you'd like to get involved, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about feminist climate justice, and if you'd like to help mainstream it as well, we have meetings 6 to 7 p.m. That's Australian Eastern Standard Time, the third Wednesday of every month. And that's the link to that. It's usually online. <laughs> that's been for a while. And so you can join from anywhere. And the link to that is on our Facebook page. So if you jump on a Facebook and search for Women's Climate Justice Collective, you'll go to our event section. And we always put our meetings and the Zoom links there. Um, on the socials, we also have a Facebook, Instagram page and a um, private WCJC Victoria group. Um, that's all, you'll be able to find all those links through our Facebook page as well. And same for any other future events like this Poetry Night and other events we might run. So that's all from me and I'll pass back to Opie. Thank you. Thanks, Cara. Next, I'd like to introduce Nina from the One Woman Project to tell us more about what they do at the One Woman Project. Over to you, Nina. Hi, everyone. Um, thanks, uh, Opie, and thanks, Cara, and the Women's Climate Justice Collective for having me this evening. Um, I'm delighted to be here to um, see this wonderful poetry and also tell you a little bit about the One Woman Project. Um, so my name is Nina Koyevich and I'm the National Director of Engagement and Outreach at the One Woman Project. Um, I've been volunteering with OWP since late 2019 and I started out as a State Director of Engagement and Outreach um, back in, um, in yeah, 2019 and then changed this role this year. Um, I'm very grateful to be here on Wurundjeri Country this evening and thanks to Ani Dai for that beautiful welcome. To give you an introduction about us, um, One Woman Project or OWP was established in 2013 and is one of Australia's fastest growing youth-led organisations. We're dedicated to providing quality education about global gender equity through our educational seminar series, engagement um, and uh, education, sorry, education and engagement events in school programs, public awareness campaigns, rural road trips and festivals. Um, OWP has teams in Queensland and Victoria and internationally, and our volunteers pursue online activities and campaigns, all dedicated to achieving one goal, which is global gender justice within our lifetimes. We believe that the first step to ending global gender inequity is to educate and upskill our young people to tackle it in their own local, national and international communities. And if you're interested in learning more about OWP or volunteering with us, um, you can head to our website, which is just onewomanproject.org. Um, and I just wanted to speak a little bit about in connection with our theme tonight, um, OWP has a range of foundational values and beliefs, and one of them is environmental justice. Um, OWP know we must prioritise the needs and amplify the voices of those most affected by the ecological crisis and ensure that we don't reinforce the systems of oppression that led to this crisis in its solution. We are intersectional feminists and know fighting climate change must be viewed through an intersectional lens. And we've been privileged to receive training from the Women's Climate Justice Collective just in the last three months um, and love the opportunity to partner with other like-minded organisations. So please feel free to reach out um, or connect with us on socials if you'd like to do something together. And if you'd like to find out more about our work in this area or check out our e recent ebook on ecofeminism, you could head to our Instagram account, which is at One Woman Project. Um, we'd love to connect with you there. With you there. 
And um, I also just wanted to end my presentation by sharing we have an exciting new zine which is coming out in the next couple of weeks called Mud Honey. Um, and the best place to get updates on that is um, our magazine page on socials, which is at Rara Magazine underscore on Instagram. So that's it from me. Back to you, Opie. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Nina. I think I'm definitely very interested in this online zine. I would finally like to introduce Mahira to tell us about Bridge Darabin. Over to you, Mahira. Hi, my name's Mahira. I'm the Community Education Manager at Bridge Darabin. Um, we're a neighborhood house and community center and social enterprise in Preston and Thornbury. It's, yeah, really lovely always to work with um, Cara and the team and the Women's Justice Collective. And um, I wanted to share a little bit of the history of neighborhood houses and why supporting and creating spaces for women is so important for us. Um, as, an, as a neighborhood house, we actually run a low waste cafe called Moon Rabbit, where we provide hospitality training for neurodiverse youth, as well as a childcare center in Thornbury and a range of education and um, and adult education and arts programs. Um, the history of neighborhood houses is actually something that's quite revolutionary. It was a grassroots movement that started in the 1970s, driven by the need to address the isolation women in the community often experienced as they cared for young children. Now there's over 400 neighborhood houses just in Victoria alone, and two neighborhood houses are never the same. In fact, apparently there's more neighborhood houses in Australia than McDonald's. So obviously the revolution um, and the women's power is something that, um, yeah, is you know to show for. Um, neighborhood houses were started on a vision to bring people together, connect them to services, and most importantly, provide an informal, non-threatening, nurturing environment that supported individualized learning, which is very much what you still see at Bridge Darabin today after 40 years. Um, I just wanted to plug and share two programs tonight that I thought you might be interested in. Um, we are running a six week sustainability course that um, provides an opportunity to deepen your knowledge of the systems that we rely on, our energy, food, water, and waste systems and explore how they can be more equitable, sustainable, and resilient. It covers things like ecological and gender justice, um, climate change, and better understanding things like why Australia is the fourth largest food waster in the world. Hope everyone uh, enjoys the evening and looks more into um, the services that we have to offer any neighborhood house across Australia, because um, they make a big difference in our community and, and the way yeah, women feel connected today. Thanks so much, Mahira, and for telling us more about the neighborhood houses and that stat that you mentioned, more neighborhood houses than Maccas, um, something I like to hear for sure. Now, before we get into the performances, we do want to take a quick little photo, if you're comfortable. Um, we'd love to get a photo of everyone here to celebrate this event and post on social media. Thank you so much, everyone. So now we've finally gotten to the moment that we've all been waiting for, me more so than anyone else, I'm going to say. <laughs> it's time we hear from our fabulous performers. I'm very excited to introduce to you Wahibe Musa. Wahibe is a writer and performer who has storytelling in her blood. She's an actor of 20 years and has extensive experience in theatre, film and TV. Wahibe has featured at Melbourne Spoken Word events, Girls on Key and Mother Tongue, 
and she was shortlisted for the Melbourne Spoken Word Prize in 2019. Since 2020, Wahibe has been working on a collection of short stories, a velvet, a velvet Cloak of Midnight Blue. Over to you, Wahibe. Hi. So for the last year, I have actually been very actively working on complex PTSD and developing work uh, that comes out of that research. First piece is called Summer Fruit. And there it was. The news screening, sirens screaming, black smoke from acrid flames, dark suited politicians dash, clash with prodding mics, their lips clamped, uncommenting. You intercept the hidden messages, try to read behind the lines. Is it worry written across their high-powered receding brows or simply concentration? Reporters rush to make conjecture urgent, staccatoed. You know what it all means. You've been ticking off dates, waiting out this minute since you were 10. Your instinct cries, run! You were a soft girl when first you heard talk of a world ending. Your nights were filled with screams that doused your skin in sweat. You didn't know what I know today. The mind of a child is a pervious thing malleable and all too easily scored and fanatical whisperings heard from the womb stained your skin you were born grieving and voices on the radio confirmed narratives that soaked your poorest mind in a concoction of fears before you learnt the words to name them you were a small baggage too small to carry the world but it didn't stop you trying. On a late summer's night, you sought shelter in your dad's low humming voice. You thought of words and tried to speak them. You dismissed them. Too strange, too needy, too something you couldn't put a name to. You perched on the high kitchen stool and watched the watermelon fall at his knife's single stroke and tried to silence the images crowding you. In the summer night, quiet, his voice hummed as you counted forward through the years, thought of the screams to come of babies and of women and of men, and you wondered where everyone would go when the time came and buildings burned and bridges fell and, and when the oceans lunged at the city's walls and where would we all run? You tried to pinpoint exactly the year all these things would come. The knife in your dad's hand sliced cleanly into the summer fruit and wedges fell at his mark. Oh, Dad, the demons are crowding me, he wanted to say and stopped short. You couldn't risk your dad, would you think you mad? No, not Dad. I'd like to um, go into another piece um, that I actually wrote quite some time ago. This is actually um, a piece from what I would like to 
have as a performance, as a possibly a play um, about a woman coming to terms with being a refugee on a land that she doesn't know and has no connection to. This is called Salt. Who was she? The one who turned to salt. You see, she looked back and her heart froze. What was her name? Rebecca? Fatima? Martha? Rachel, maybe? <laughs> well, what's a woman's name, eh? What's it worth? in that holy book. Men have names and women carry them. Their father's name is sewn into children's skin. Language, history, land, all are embedded with the father's name. You know the book. Everyone in those stories is either sad or heroic. She was not heroic. She was someone's wife. And she turned from woman to pillar quick as a flash. No name left to mark her but salt. Strangers came in a sodomite night and knocked on her door. Strangers her husband welcomed into their home and protected from Sodom's men with her daughter's bodies. These angels gave a warning, leave, and as you go, don't look back. But why and how not to look back? When lungs are too tight to breathe and your ears wince as panic screams through the air, buried in the roar of flame, horror in your town, delivered from your home. And those strange angels blowing flames, sending them higher, higher, till they lick the dome of sky above Sodom. Yes, her heart missed a beat. Long enough to turn her into salt. And there she stands for eternity. Her horror pinned to the spot. Nothing to name her. Um, my last piece is called Circles. Um, this is definitely one of the pieces from um, Velvet Cloak. And she's running and running and running over the green of the grass, arms flailing, circling through and through and through all the ties that restrain her. The walls she has to conquer and be conquered by. And she's running through and through and calling out, help me, help me. I catch her voice from a distance. Something's going to hold on me and won't let go. I watch her endlessly circling, holding on to the thing that won't let her go. I wait. And in time, her circling brings her back to me. We sit, our monster and me, together on the rounded mound of the green, green hill, on the lushness of the grass out there. 
we know that people walk by us and that they have nothing to do with us. And I know that she wants to be taken by them, to throw herself into them. But I stop. I stop her jumping into their skins and she hates me for it. I want to be them, she says. When they arrive home in the waning sunlight at the end of the autumn day, I want to smell the warmth and comfort and know that my home and I are one, that when I open the door, I am entering my sanctuary. My father's house is the closest thing we have to home. It could be our home, but history gets in the way. It had never been anything but my father's house, meaning the place we failed, the roof over all our heads, the food on the table, the good education, meaning the three-headed monster my mother and father could never conquer, and the spanking new sets of shiny armour they bought us, my brothers and I, before they sent us out to conquer their monster for them. And at the end of the day, with the waning sun, we would trudge, mostly conquered, sometimes, occasionally, conquering to our father's house to be fed on his disappointment, his loss, our shame. My monster and I began the slow descent towards my father's house. I felt her hand tentatively wiggle its way into my half-closed palm, saw its littleness, its hesitation to trust, its urge to trust. The thick, tight band across my chest loosened. My heart breathed a deep sigh. My monster hadn't destroyed me. She was a child walking by my side. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lahibe. I am extremely moved. I wanted to acknowledge that I am coming to you from Jajawarang country, um, the land of the Jara people, and uh, I pay my respects to their elders past and present. And I thank you all for having me tonight. Thank you for sharing with us, Wahibe. Next, I would like to introduce Nikki Viveka. Nikki is a prolific poet, comedian, actress, and broadcaster. She was the winner of Melbourne Spoken Words inaugural Trans Poetry Slam and the 2019 Midsummer Poetry Slam, as well as a runner-up for the 2019 Melbourne Spoken Word Prize. Nikki is also a cast member of Green Room Award-nominated Cabaret Gender Euphoria. Her work often explores themes of queer identity from an intimate and autobiographical perspective. Over to you, Nikki. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, thanks for coming tonight. I'd like to start my performance uh, tonight. I'm performing from Wurundjeri Country in Nam. The quick tarot reading. The year 2021. Shuffle the deck, wondering where among the cards death is. You place a card. You hesitate to turn it. You take it back. You return to shuffling. 
knowing it's in there. Yes, the dark, dark times we're living in. What's to be afraid of? I've been thinking um, about which my work, I talk about climate in, that being the theme of tonight. Uh, and so I decided to bring up a poem about visiting, uh, visiting my hometown, my home state. This is called Homestake. It's highways and dead dry grass, endless white lines, ragged bit, painted with the remains of wallabies under an empty sky. It's billboards for service station burgers and cheeses. A Bible verse sits beside an ad for a rural zoo which has a lion in it. So it looks kind of like a Christian Marto rematch. There are roadside posters for politicians, big smiles and stone-hard eyes, photographed in front of fields greener than anything in 100 miles. It's cheap blackboard signs for expensive fuel and a big billboard of a fetus, captioned as if it could speak, imploring passing motorists to let it leave. Suddenly, like randomly, inexplicably, in the midst of all this, there's a sex store, a burst of black and pink in this world painted brown by the dry. Hidden seductions, its signs announced. I mean, it's, it's not all that hidden. In fact, it kind of stands out. Although I suppose if you are actively seeking out seduction, this is not where you'd look. Not here in the homestead but only the dust truly seems at home. It's roads and roads and roads and roads, big-ass trucks that make cars shake as they pass, the doomed cattle in the back peering out through slats with freaked-out eyes, packed in there like sardines that groan and defecate and no terror. It's hours and hours and hours and hours of memories dedicated just to this road, going one way or the other, in successions of disreputable cards, listening to my parents' nearly identical divorce playlists on cassette tape, my face to the glass, wishing on the stars for a life with more sparkle. It's farms that have finished a former salad bowl now dirt on the road to the gas fields. Gravel scars where drought has scratched over the memory of creeks and clusters of matchsticks for trees. It's breath that tastes burnt, every sunset apocalypse red, and the police Twitter feed listing towns under evacuation. Where else but the homestead? Dust one day, ash the next. It's a former home, now a building mostly used to store sad memories, with the aircon blasting day and night. I mean, who cares about the climate now? The world's already on fire. It's been called the wrong name over lunch. The bristling silence around the family table when I correct them. It's the wrong pronouns, thrown out blindly. My reminders, she, please, ignored. Apology, not an option. The deep discomfort 
broken with the occasional forced, well, isn't this nice? It's shouting suddenly mid-conversation about something else right at my face. My sister's eyes full of naked hate. And she tells me how my coming out was so, so hard on her. Her jaw quivering in rage as she spits the word transition. Her voice a low growl, like you'd use to chase a stray dog off your lawn. Welcome to the home state, where the word home comes with an asterisk about who it's allowed to be home for. It's the cupboard in my old room, still hung with the dresses which I could only wear behind that door when it was closed. It's a box of childhood birthday cards, <laughs> years and, and years of them, a whole collection, all signed to my girl's name because I insisted on it but always incongruously paired with pictures of trains or soccer balls or rocket ships or other things I'd never expressed a hoot of interest in. It's if these icons could somehow summon forth the rambunctious little type that they wanted rather than the little wisp of queer that they got. It's old photos of my hair cut short against my web, my eyes as dead as roadkills, empty as an endless fucking sky. It's dust. This place is dust. It's so much dust. And dead flies on windowsills. And people asking me why I don't visit more often. I've got to say that um, Melbourne in lockdown is, it's still more lively than my, uh, my hometown was, <laughs> was going up. Um, look, one of the things I used to get through uh, one of those things I used to get through um, the long and very, very lonely hours of growing up in rural Queensland as, as a child was I used to get obsessed with David Attenborough films. I used to like love just watching animals and so forth. They were like my, my happy space. And I've sort of really gone back to that during experience of the last couple of years. You know, I returned to my childhood comfort things. Although even like even watching David Attenborough, these days they get emotional. This is my poem about that. It's called Why I Cried, watching David Attenborough. There is a species of oceanic dolphin known as the false killer whale. In Latin, pseudorca crassidens, which means false killer whale with fat teeth. Dear pseudorca crassidens, I don't think you're false. I see you. Maybe only on TV, in documentaries. But I see you and I respect you for the animal you are. And I think your teeth are fine. You are a valid whale. You are your own dolphin. And you deserve a name that is all your own. To not live by comparison to an orca who's better known just because I have a gig at SeaWorld. You are not a false killer whale. Not some cut-rate free willy. You are a valid whale and a genuine killer of squid and fish and other dolphins too. <laughs> okay, I don't know about that part specifically. as a life choice, but it's your life. You do you. And don't be ashamed to claim your place in the marine food chain because you are a legitimate cetacean, a whale, real and true. Do not crest the same waves. Do not sing 
in the same depth. Do you not do the thing when you blow air through your blowhole? You do. And the sea is for you as much as it is for any other creature. Oh, and if you see them, tell the sperm whales they deserve better too. Dear Sudoka, you deserve a name that does not throw you shade because your life and your whaleness are not fake. Not even Attenborough's dulcet tones can tell you your identity is not your own. Yours sincerely, with love, from me, a woman. Thanks, everyone. I might do one more. Um, maybe just another little, another little quick one. This is my poem called Origin Story. My goddess was born of the sea foam, fully formed and fabulous, a woman from her first breath, which is how I'd like you to think of me, too, as if I magically appeared through sheer force of beauty, already complete. Don't ask about my childhood. I was barely in it. My adolescence, I threw it back. If you want to know how I came to be, look to the surge and the spray of the sea. Every wave a rebirth that carries no history. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you so, so, so much. I actually, it's a good thing that my camera was off because I actually shed a few tears during your first oh. poem. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. I, I, I really feel I'm very honoured to, to have witnessed that sharing. I would like to now introduce our next performer, Amanda Anastasi. Amanda is currently poet in residence at Monash Climate Change Communication Research Hub, where she writes poetry about ecological issues and the climate crisis, in addition to other forms of climate activism. Amanda's monostitch climate poems will be featured in Best Australian Science Writing 2021, and her new poetry collection, The Inheritors, has just been released and is currently available through Black Pepper Publishing. It's my pleasure to hand over to you, Amanda. Thank you, OP, so much. Um, those, uh, both Nikki and Wahibi, just were so powerful and wonderful, and it's a tough, uh, two tough acts to follow. Um, poetry is very climate change heavy, so... <laughs> I just wanted to say, well, as Opie mentioned, um, I'm writing poetry about climate change and I've been doing this for about a couple of years in my residency. I'm going to start with some one-line poems. So monostitch poems are one-line poems. Um, and I'm going to be starting with a few of those. And I'm going to sort of be pausing after each one so each one can kind of sink in. Some people might find my poetry a little confronting, um, but I truly believe that we cannot move forward with proper climate action until we first acknowledge the facts and what is actually happening on the ground and the gravity of the issue. And that's kind of the space where my poetry lies. Um, so the first five monosteads I'm going to um, read to you are set in the Solomon Islands. And then I will flow onto poems uh, that are Australian-based. Um, these brave people of the Solomon Islands who 
have had very little to do with the industrial revolution, like on the front line of climate change and are experiencing impacts right now. So that's why I want to begin there. The people of the sea are moving inland. Now cyclones come from the east. The houses are falling into the ocean. The boat sails the vanished island. The home intruder, the tide is lurking. A bee lands on a nectarless flower. The bats are hanging awake during the day. Possums scuttle off roofs, their paws burned. From all the city offices, children's chants can be heard. The recluse has joined the protesters. Soon change will not be a choice. So uh, in January 2020, um, I was asked to write one-line poems about while the fires were burning across the country. And I had to write them in a really short space of time because we wanted to get the poems out there while it was happening. And to do that, I had to view a lot of footage of, you know, disturbing footage from the bushfires. Um, we should never forget that like 20% of Australia burned and 1 billion animals died in that incident. These were the poems that came out of that. A fire siren is sounding from a magpie's mouth. The koala that survived cannot find a leaf. The beachgoers wear blankets and masks. The child is held by blistered arms. The blackened tree is burning from the inside. The ash is on all of our hands. So shortly after the bushfires, it came to my attention that in Victoria, loggers were already going into the forests that had not yet recovered from the bushfires, where they hadn't even given the forests a chance to renew themselves. So yeah, I'm just going to let the poem speak for itself on that one. This poem is called Loggers Post Fire. This is a longer poem, Loggers Post Fire. Before renewal can begin its certain work in the tree heads, before new green can sprout or flourish, again they enter. From a dark tree hollow, a glider peers out to a place where destruction had swept the trees. And marsupials bolted to the hills, their limbs burning. The machines now border the remaining tree ferns, making flat, newly germinating plants. They begin their task of removing rotting timber, the food for insects, the shelter for plants and fungi, currently nourishing bandicoots. 
They make their dent into the way of things, disrupting soil that will bring the next yield, the next birth from black. After the shouts in fluoro and vehicles have retreated, the quietude and inevitable stirrings return to the double disturbed land. So, um, yeah, the effects of climate change are not something of the future. Um, we've been experiencing them for some time and many species have been experiencing them for a while. The poem I'm about to read concerns an incident that has been occurring repeatedly in Queensland and in parts of northern New South Wales. Um, and the earliest incident I know of was in 2014. And there was another one in 2018. Um, and this is called Bat Piles. The wildlife officer moves into the woodland, steps between the crooked carpet of winged limbs, the stiff cloaks swathing brown bodies. He looks out at the row upon row of flying foxes, lifeless or starved to motionlessness, each reduced to lay at the level of a human heel. He silently considers the furnaces of the trees to have seared the creatures from their perches and demoted them to a crunch and an evenness underfoot. He considers the one mammal capable of flying and its label as pest and rodent, the raising of it to Gothic emblem and the muse of superheroes, its replication in plastic for children's show bags and arcade knickknacks. Imbuna, Palmwood, Laidley, and Gatton. Here too, they are inanimate. Their light bodies swiftly dropped in council rubbish bags in response to complaints of the stench of carcasses and the fingers and ankles bitten by frantic teeth. I'm going to go back to some monostitch poems now. And um, as Opie mentioned, I just finished a book and the whole, the second part of the book is entirely set in the future. So I've sort of had my head in this sort of future landscape. Yeah, these are some poems from the future, but when I wrote them, I wrote them as futuristic poems and then some of them started to feel more current, which was a really weird experience. So these are some more one-liners for you. It is a sun-filled day in Antarctica. Another climate denier has conceded. The mining executive's documents are on fire. The fence-sitter has no choice but to descend the planks. The children play tag in the floodwaters. The wildflowers think it is spring. Someone wrote in the chat, I'm scared. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I want you to feel something, that's for sure. So I'm just going to read one more poem. I just recently um, finished writing a series of poems for Monash about the four seasons and how climate change will affect the way we experience the seasons. I'm going to read just one poem from that series, um, and this is Autumn. And this is set in Vermont in New England where hundreds of people travel to these, see these beautiful red and gold maple trees um, at the beginning of the season. 
Um, and this poem is about what they are starting to find when they arrive. Autumn. They come to follow the colour, readying their cameras in rovers that wind down the hushed roads. Faces fall upon the startling sight of a mainly green canopy of maple with small flecks of the expected promise of red and gold. Locals explain the change has run late this year. Stays are stretched out in nearby inns and Airbnbs. Visitors reminisce on previous displays and its blaze on arrival until their talk inevitably falls and what it means beyond them for the flower that blossoms late in the leaf's place, what it means for the wood warbler, blue jay, for the mouse and for the fly. That's it for me. Um, thank you to the Women's Justice, uh, Climate Justice Collective for having me and thank you for my wonderful code features. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing Sharifa. Um, yeah, thanks everyone. Thank you so much, Amanda. I'm not sure if it was one of your monastage poems that it reminded me of, funnily enough, David Attenborough's documentary Fire in the Australian Landscape and the Importance of Fire for the Country and for Health. Oh gosh, climate change, climate justice. I'm glad that we're all here tonight and thank you for evoking strong emotions in us all tonight, Amanda. Finally, I would like to introduce Sharifa Taltusi. Sharifa's journey as an artist has seen her crown the Australian Poetry Slam Victorian champion in 2017. And she has since become one of the creative producers of Slamalenga Ding Dong. Her first chapbook, Colorblind, was released in 2018 and explored issues of her Arab Muslim identity in a Western context. Over to you, Sharifa. Hi everyone, my set is a continuous set, so I won't be like taking breaks to explain anything in between. So hopefully it makes sense. Uh, there's a trigger warning for lockdown trauma and for just general trauma stuff. And I hope you enjoy it. I haven't really written climate change poetry, so I hope you guys like what I've brought to the table today. Act one, Coral. We are at the Writers' Festival in this seaside coal port of the town and everybody is orange-eyed, drunk and squealing. I am sober and tired of pale boys who spill their sermons of starvation onto altars meant for offering, that ageless stain of entitlement in the fabric of our short history on this land. This land that belongs neither to pale boys whose dry spells form the centre of the universe, nor Arab girls whose curls cling onto the salt-laden air and cease up against the skin of their fingertips. These fingertips that rest in laps laced with embarrassment on the bleachers and try to divert attention with a question about process. Ask about the way you learnt to write like the faceless protagonists of these stories have transplantable skin. The type pale boys can put on for a couple of minutes without feeling guilty. And you say that you've been to enough artists' workshop to pick it up. Avoid the question almost entirely. The truth is, you took a creative writing class in the third year of your undergrad at uni, and the pale-skinned tutor with her English heritage and her award-winning books said that the need for explanation was a marker of shortcoming in a poem, said that a poem should speak to the reader without translation by the author, said that interpretation was for the skillless and the lazy. And I remember thinking, 
How nice it must be to be from and to live in the same context as everyone else. How nice it must be to have shared nuance in every room you walk into. How nice it must be to never have to explain yourself. Act two, marigolds. If I should drive out to the country in my most adjuring dreams, let there be marigolds growing on the highway. Yellow and cheerful and hungry for sun, constant and timeless and vulnerable. Let all the passenger seat conjurings ask me, ask whether they were there last time. Let my forgetfulness be a shoulder shrug the flavor of carefree youth. Let me become a highway metaphor or shade of openness I struggle to hold on to. Let holding on be the destination, a field of those marigolds where a cattle farm once was. The farmer's husband buried beneath the grief she planted for him before the heartbreak killed her. Flower angels I draw into the land of the secondary plot, of the story that ends before I learn to carry them with me. The naivety of permanence, the roar of the engine as they germinate in my place. Act three, succulence. If I should make it to the desert, in the, pro in the protractions of my musings, let the succulents show me where to honour my grief, weathered and hardened and thirsty, determined and rebellious and resilient. Let a strew of loneliness and desert sun wonder what it is to grow in infertile ground. Let all of the small deaths within me skirt around the paths of the sands. Let me lower my almost dry corpses beside them and open my hands in offering. Let the offering be an exchange for learning, a hardened leaf beneath the hardened skin of my fingertips. The beads of sweat that roll down my forehead bid greeting to the tears on my cheeks. I wipe away at the salt on my face and vow to keep going in the tale that does not end with survival, the wisdom of flourishing, the crunch of sand beneath my feet as I make my own way. Act four, peonies. If I should appear as a B-plot in the escapisms of another, let me be a field of peonies at the beginning of spring, layered and soft and flourishing, vibrant and lush and rare. Let me be unafraid to flower so fleetingly they almost miss me. Let me, let me be unashamed of my need for soil undoubtedly fertile to bloom like this. Let me have faith in all the reasons I have always been worth waiting for. Let the waiting be the journey. A sea of peating, pe a sea of pink-tinged petals reaching out to touch one another. The love I have learnt to give myself, the only marvel worth noticing. A single moment in time when I am nothing, if not the protagonist of this plotline in which I inevitably thrive. The sagacity of throat growth. The gentle, the gentle rustling of petals as I exhale. Act 5, Sunflowers. After Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros and Carly Rae Jepsen. If I should ever fall in love, let it be driving through the Australian outback in a bus we spent the remainder of our 20s renovating with all our friends. Let it be nights in new cities where we find one another under the streetlights, fight sleep tooth and nail so we can dance to the songs of our youths. Let it be boombox carrying days that turn to months of barefoot screaming through streets we only remember by the memories we create in them. Let it be day dress summers and sunflowers. Let it be bonfire winters and oversized sweaters. Let it be slow burn and explosion. Let it be running into the ocean with all of our clothes. Let it be act now and think later. And then all the care it takes to think it over once more. If I should let anybody into the walls of my heart, let them be both knocked gently and burst in. Let them resemble all the nostalgia I have had for this place I have never been. That feeling I get from home and run away with me every time they come on the radio. Let them be the reason I listen to the whole song every time. Let me never want to serve them the eviction notice. Let them make every single one of the people who lived here before seem like the primer before the commitment. Let them paint these walls a shade of life I have always known existence, but never known to be like this, this vivid, this bright, this ever engrossing. Let them be a shade of lunacy that recognize mine. 
If I should ever meet somebody who is the same shade of lucidity as me, let them let me forget to push them away. Let me fling the doors open and smile. Let me scream, honey, I'm home. That old cliche, that dad joke, that unashamed part of me that is not afraid to love unremarkable and do- dorky and trope and banality. Let me forget to fear that I am not enough. Let me be the reason, let them be the reason I do not want the moment to end. The reason I can't wait for the next moment to begin. If I should ever be lucky enough to be that happy, let it be fountain of the home, let it be the foundation of the home we build. Let that home be the one I am never afraid to go back to. Let me not question if I deserve this. Let me be only grateful. Let the poems are right about us, even the bad ones, be the kind we can dance to. Let us be the song I can't get out of my head, even when we are slow and low tempo, even when we are written in minor key, even when we are bass cleft and only the flat notes. Let us be the reason that the nostalgia makes sense. Let us be the reason it is not madness to long for you. Let us be. Let us just be once. Let this feeling be true. Act six, aglaonema. Awaken at midday. Breakfast is delivered by a man in a silver Hyundai, although you never see the car or the man. Take your antidepressants and your multivitamins and all the other medications. Employ a 10-skip skincare routine. You you have the time. Burn a candle, floral-scented like spring, to mask the odour of staying inside. Zoom call your best friends. You don't have to speak. Existing is enough. Go for your state-sanctioned hour of exercise. Track the flowering of the plants on your path. Take pictures of something that isn't your face for Instagram. Coles and Woolworths, red Safeway. Deliver free on your first order. Watch the delivery guy walk away. Cook dinner by television light. You've seen this episode. The noise is comforting. Leave the dishes in the sink for tomorrow. The loneliness is exhausting. Sink into bed. There's a couple of films on Netflix or Stan or Disney Plus you'd like to see. Say you'll shower tomorrow. Decide that washing up was enough of a personal hygiene exercise. Get a message from your manager. Force yourself into the shower. Don't wash your hair. Print your work permit. permit. Ponder how much paper goes into printing permits that may go unchecked. Leave 20 minutes early. Wait 30 at the checkpoint. Wonder what the officer looks like. Don't get stuck in traffic. Get stuck inside. Forget to buy milk. Check the time. Eat dry cereal for dinner. Read a book. Decide you can't concentrate. Turn the television on. Call your best friend. Complain about being stuck inside. Fall asleep to another YouTube video. Use it as photo for uplifting conversation on Zoom. Listen to the address for the number. Decide to never watch the news again. Watch the news again. Forget what day it is. Awaken at midday. There's just two more acts. Act seven, Poppy. We talk about blood, the way it pulls in basins and nails turn round when you leave it to soak too long and stains. Data has lived in this house 42 years and learns to repurpose her memories. Shudders while we wait for the fireworks to echo. Says that we build our veins into the places we choose to stay. Says that they hid Brett in the walls during the war and Umjema died full next door in the house with the red water and the heartbreak in the bathtub. Says that the first one passes and the grief bleeds into all the others. And what are we in the end but the children of war? And what is war but a mother disciplining her careless children? But what about the blood on our hands, Data? What about the people left and the story that Baba doesn't tell anymore? Baba's hands are weathered from tearing and replanting roots. His his palms are the geography of every place we have bled and fled. His home is built in cherished memories and forgetting, says that we are lucky. We, the land of, of opportunity, doors wide open, future bathed in sunlight, children. 
but the homeland landscape in his eyes lingers as he tells me that I could never survive back there with my loud voice and my Australian English, says that it is always political. And what are we but the children of politics? And what is politics but a father disciplining his unjust children? But what, what about the blood on our hands, Baba? What about the white men and the people who left? We call living the war survival. We call remembering it gratitude. We call refusing to weakness. Bubba hurts his back at work, shows us the scars from that one time he got he got his arm stuck in the machine and the blood clots under his nail. And Mama said that sacrifice happens before the bleeding, says that the fireworks took his hope with their echoes and now we cannot dream straight anymore. Says that they packed all their things in the dark and boarded the boat to Cyprus. Says that the coastline of Abedal still makes her cry. Says that it isn't always quite sadness and what are we but the children of sadness? And what is sadness but home calling us to come back? But what about the blood on our hands, Mama? What about the lives we build and the ones we don't? What, and what about the people who leave? What about the white men and the stories Baba doesn't tell anymore? What name do you put on a mass grave? Are we still those casualties of war, if not the dead, but the pulling in the aftermath? The post-terrorism, lead boot identity children. I saw myself on the front page of the newspaper wearing a different face the other week. And now jihad is a dirty word and Shakespeare is irrelevant. For what, for what do white men know of tragedies when they put the blood of our ancestors on our hands? And who are our younger siblings but the maskless villains of a world they have never known to not hate them? And what were you wearing on September 11, 2001? Why do we all look so different now? And how long must we stay hidden? And what are we but the children of hiding? And what is hiding but an orphan sense of identity trying to distinguish between the call of home and the false promise of something better? But what about the blood on our hands? They crossed the sea for you and now all they can taste is the salt in your eyes. Does guilt pass down through generations? Some days I just want to know if home will remember my name or if it ever learnt it. But what about the blood on our hands? I look at myself in the mirror and ask the white girl to own her privilege. It wasn't my ancestors who built this city on rattling bones and smallpox, but what am I but a benefactor of the actions of somebody else's? And what about the blood on my hands? The way it mixes and pulls and whose blood is it now? Maybe in the end, we all die of broken hearts. And what is a part but a place to hold the blood a while? Let it know that there are shades of grief that stain brown when you leave them too long and those that were brown to begin with. And what, are the, what about the blood on my hands, mama? Which one is it, mama? Are we ever going back, mama? What about the people who left? What about death? What about building graves on black bones and smallpox and all these white memories, the ones with the loud voices and the Australian English, where do I put those? And what are we but the children of context? And what is context but a place of all the places we have been and finally the blood pools in the arches of my feet and the borders of my palms in condolence, in sorry, I will be better. Even when homeland's, land, homeland's call feels foreign, even when we look like this, even in opportunistic tongues, even in trader skin. Act eight, which is the last act, uh, Biblis. In my wildest dreams, I am an auburn sunset hovering over a field of geraniums. I am the moment before the darkness, the not quite yet of autumn, tenacious crunch against the soles of my peach gum boots, the tiger swallowtail that kisses the edges of the cuffs and lands in the last silver of, sliver of light on sunflower petal, an undeniable barbar that persists through the cold, shadows of survival through our deeper struggles the gentle sinking of selves in oceans of past as we rebirth ourselves in stratospheres, that sweet indigo of nightfall studded with stars, quiet profoundness that grounds, first ray of dawn upon silent war, escapist landscapes that lull in that moment, just before coming out. Uh, thank you, everybody. I really appreciate you listening to that. And I hope uh, everybody has a lovely night and thank you so much to the organizers and to all the other performers tonight. You guys were amazing. Jerifa, thank you 
so, so much. I hope nobody can see the sheen of tears in my eyes right now. Um, that really that hit different. I really related to a lot of what you spoke about and I really appreciate you sharing tonight. Thank you to all of our very inspiring and truly amazing performers. We are now at the final part of our evening, our open mic. We have two fantastic performers for you. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our first performer, Yvette Stubbs. Yvette, over to you. Hello, everyone. Hasn't this been great? So I chose to do a little bit of climate, a little bit of COVID, a little bit of sensitivity because I knew you girls were going to be really, really intensely deep and meaningful. I'll begin with a song written at the time of the Louisiana floods where many suffered severely and it's titled Global Warming. And I don't know why I decided to do a song, but here we go. Black people scream from the corners of the earth and where to white to listen. Black people scream from the corners of the earth and where to white to listen. The globe is warming, the mass is sinking. Pull our ears and listen, rub out our lies, reconnect our ties. The colours of the rainbow are calling, the colours of the rainbow are calling. Listen. Listen for Earth's sake. Listen. My second piece was it's the idea of creating an imaginary employment that I think it need we need now in these hard times, and it's titled the the sensitivity advisor. I am working as a sensitivity advisor. Of course, I am freelancing at a I journey from one centre link to another, popping in on insurance company executives and government officials on my way to and fro. It's a difficult job, but I feel extremely necessary. You see, many people in positions of power forget to be caring and considerate of the vulnerable customers in their files. They see a red flag coming up on their screen and say, sorry, you are cut off, or go to jail, go directly to jail, do not pass go. They forget to look at the vulnerable they are destroying with their red tape and corner cutting. Some in power start to believe that the dollar is almighty. They, and I know it's hard to believe, they screw people over to get, to get a bonus for themselves. No, I know. I know. It's, I couldn't believe it either, but, but I believe it's true. So I work tirelessly at reprogramming this way of thinking. It isn't easy, of course. I have to ruffle some feathers, push a few cockerels off their perches, break a few eggs in the process, but it is all worth it in the end. Being a sensitivity advisor is a difficult job. But I feel my work creates harmony in the workplace. Being nice has its own rewards and there are fewer nervous breakdowns now and hardly any suicides at all. 
I have seen flowers popping up on people's desks and colour spreading throughout offices. Yes, yes. I am proud to say I spread sensitivity wherever I go. And my advice, my advice to you, if you wouldn't do it to your own child, don't do it to a perfect stranger. Yeah. My last poem, another shorty. Um, this is relating to being locked down again and during a marriage breakdown and all that. It's untitled. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Pretend light when all is so heavy. I can't do this anymore. Smile as the ground crumbles. Be stoic when the pandemonium inside matches the pandemic out. I just can't do this anymore. It's too hard. It's too, too painful. It's too, too much. And then tomorrow comes and I have to do it all over again. It's amazing what you get used to. Thank you. Thank you, Yvette. Thank you so much. There's something to be said about sensitivity and the need for it. So thank you for sharing that. I'd like to introduce our final performer for the evening, Carmen Lahif Jenkins. Over to you, Carmen. Thanks, sorry, P. That's really nice of you. Um, I'd just like to say that I'm also on Wurundjeri Wurrung land, um, and I'd like to acknowledge that and thank you also for the wonderful welcome from Auntie Dot. Um, so um, I haven't written a poem for about 20 years. I've been working in really heavy headed neuroscience research for the last 20 years and I finished up in January and all of a sudden I got this space to think about things and to feel things which um, I've been reasoning things instead of feeling them so then I spewed some poetry so and now I'm going to inflict it on you and I hope that's okay. It's not very sophisticated but I really enjoyed writing it. So it's called You Did Not Build It. You drew the plan, found the supplies, trawled the store for bargains, puffed your chest, adjusted your vest, made out you knew best, filled in a work order, a pink slip, took the truck, tough as fuck, carted the concrete, poured the beer, lifted the metal, the apprentice cheered, hammered the sand, poisoned the song, never paused to see what you did wrong, but you did not build it. You've told all the lies your kind can tell. Stared into the darkest of eyes, deep and dark and cold, as the cold deep waters lost long from the well. Sacrificed lives, our babies in metal cages carried far away to lands where their blood is shed on soil of people who never asked them to be there. Glory, rage, mateship and blood and shackles and chains and complex orders of global governance with no narrative of command, just a stand in deserts, oil and death but still you did not build it. You feel every feeling raw and unfettered, your emotional new age, 
You shone to hear the names of all the heroes of the game. You sat on suburban couches sprawled across the land, screaming at TVs with elite athletes on the stand. Their hard-won muscles, their sweat and pain, you groaned at every loss like you felt the very same. You demanded the good Aboriginal and you got goods instead. Black man warrior had you shaking in your beds. All tits and arse and arse and tits and arse. Women's bodies make no point if not for observing. You lit the spark, you served the team, you made the rules, you bent the arc. You claimed it, but you did not think it. You did not see it, you did not know it, you did not bleed it. You did not cry out in pain, not once. And because of this, you abstained, because you were not thick inside, almost unable to breathe with the magnitude of human perseverance. Again, you did not build it. You sat in the meetings, nodding your head, flopping like a chorus of crows in your matching suits. Not a heel above one inch in sight. You didn't raise your hand. You didn't bring a wealth of varied experience. Your ideas were fleeting, hard to grab, tardigrades in your brain, fluid flitting and darting, but just too small to see with a naked eye. And like an echo of all your iterations, time memorial, you didn't stand, not for anything. Not for anyone, not for anyone who came or anyone who could come. And you could not, did not build it. You paid for it, your mediocre pay from your lacklustre efforts in your office every day. And Bitcoin gave you a confidence the others, all of us, could only ever aspire. You thought that's how work's done. You could rarely see beyond, you never listened. You could never really understand. You're just not that good. But you explained it. And you explained it, and you explained it, or how you love to explain the stories that were not yours to tell, and you never even told them with any flourish or very well, and you did not build it. You slid online like a snake into DMs and you told astronauts how to get to space. You slid online and you told women how to dress and how not to get raped. You told people of colour with your white face how to process their rage against your systems of race. You slid online and from your chair in your basement, you screamed at an emoji aligned and masturbated. You did not engage. You did not lift or support or raise. Oh, yes, you gave all the responsibility but never any of the power to anyone. The world was your oyster again and again and again. And under your boot, turned from soil to dust and rack and ruin, but you did not build it. Your education was exclusive, your private school the best, your terrifying chant and school mottos in the streets on buses like a death eaters or white nationalists, a grotesque test. Conquest told of less powerful beings, which turned out in the main to be run-of-the-mill sexual assaults, a roll call of pain. Juxtaposition of law and order, Disney-style or conquer and rewards and divorce, sluts and gatekeepers, virgins, goddesses and princesses, of course. But you did not build it. You were so loud. You made so much noise, confusion and chaos. You bullied undeniably your social testing ripe and the rank for the boys. The weakest beats hunted and gutted with an unstoppable force, an unstoppable train. Those alone, pride puffed like your jacket and dizzying strength you stole, well borrowed, the strength you cannot own. You were certain, two feet on the ground in charge, your critique and label and smirk, you control them, you cajole them, contain them, keep them, hose them down and put out their fire. You could, so you did. But still you did not build it. 
you lamented or how you cried. You had daughters and you knew that made you different inside. You held strong through dirty laundering of dirty linens and acclaim. When you heard of me too, you claimed or denied all of someone else's pain. You told all the stories, but in them you were the centre of the planet and all of the stars of the universe, you were all that mattered. To hear it told you were the sickest, you were the saddest, you were the bravest, you were the smartest, you were the one to save us. But still you did not build it. Flesh and bone, tongue and grooves, hand and feet, joints and cartilage, you named it. You claimed it, your eternal life, a photocopy, a facsimile, a JPEG, a mirror, sweet coos in the night, little human filled with glorious sweet light, a group of people to unite. You stood at the helm, steered the ship, shouted the orders, directed the fight, but you did not build it. You are a hollow shell devoid of character, a player, performance, an actor. You are merciless in your fear and dedicated to your craft. Your hands are worn and weary and daily they desecrate your hearth, my earth, our heart. You are flesh and bone, but that is all. Your spirit is tired and dull. The definitions of your million masculinities are nonsense and a fail. And you stand atop burnt-out cities, darkened nuclear winter skies, so hot birds fly too low, if there are any birds at all. Trees bend your all-consuming glory. What breathed of life and wonder is now a fright on the landscape, so impotent, so barren, so nothing. It's hot. The air is still. The cities are filled with water and still you did not build it. And that's it. I can't believe you called that an infliction when that was a gift. Thank you so much for that. I am, I'm in awe, honestly. I'm so impressed. Thank you so much. That was very exciting. Wow, what a night this has been. I feel so, so filled within my heart, within my soul, within my spirit after witnessing these incredible performances celebrating feminism and climate justice and may I add humanity. If you're feeling inspired to take action, you can follow the Women's Climate Justice Collective, One Woman Project and Bridge Therabin on Facebook and Instagram. We will post the links in the chat. And if you are feeling inspired to Maybe have me as an MC at your next event or poetry night, whatever it may be. You can find me at Apemipo Oliburden on LinkedIn. Uh, and the spelling is, of course, my name on Zoom. Thank you all so much. We will be following up with you all, everyone who've signed up. So please keep an eye on your inbox. And once again, a massive, massive thank you to our performers, the organizers, Kara, Carmen, Katie, everybody at the Women's Justice Collective, um, Bridge Derbin and One Woman, One Woman Project, Auntie Diane, thank you so much for your welcome. And everyone who has joined us tonight and for being so active in the chat and being so supportive of our performers. Um, I thank each and every single one of you. Take care, everyone. And that's it. Thank you so much. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H E R E media.studio.